Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good morning and Merry Christmas, everybody. It's good to see everyone out. Here we are in December, and uh, doesn't it look beautiful up here? They just did a great job, didn't they, on that? Yep. And um, it's so nice to sing these uh, Christmas carols, Um, but I got to tell you, I've never sung the version of that that we sang a few moments ago, right? And uh, I want to ask you to help me out because uh, our musicians uh, work so hard uh, all year long. We're so grateful for them. That song really featured in a beautiful way, I thought, Cat O'Connor and Jeff O'Meara. Can we thank them for what they offer to us on a consistent basis? Uh, They're working hard for us, and I'm so grateful. Hey, this is my spot also right before we just dig in. I'm so pumped about what I want to share with you today. It's just kind of burning within me. I want to get it out. But I want to tell you that um, we always remind everybody on the front end of December, we got this Christmas missions offering, and we collect money in December, we ask to do two things. Here's what we always tell people. If, if it's been a weird year for you financially and you can't support our regular giving and do the missions offering, let the missions offering pass you by. Okay, we, we always come in December. We got to make up some ground in December, especially this year. But I want to lift up this missions offering because we always use that to raise money. We will give away the next year serving our community in ways that have nothing to do with our church. Let me give you an idea. We're using the money this year to fund and continue to resource our work with the poor in the area just in November. Just in November, our our uh, food distribution ministry ministered to over 1,500 individuals struggling with food insecurity in our area. That's only in November. So that'll give you an idea of what we're doing. We're hoping to, uh, what we want to do is buy a new box truck, buy another vehicle that'll support that. We'd like to get some more cold storage, and we're going to use it as seed money for the next facility that's going to go on this site right here. That got applause at 9 o'clock. So I, I know you guys are still a little lost because we were rocking and rolling on that one Christmas song, but this is what we're going to do. So any, I want to lift that up to you. Okay, we good with that? Yeah. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. All right, we're going to get started this morning. We're in week two of a series. I'm pumped about. We're calling the series uh, Come Home. And there's a little sort of wink, wink going on in the series. Part of what we're doing in December in the series called Come Home because we want people to come home, as in like come back, like come back to in-person worship, like every Sunday, like we're here live, you can see people, touch people, like you, you're getting what I'm popping on right now? And so we're kind of saying that um, the year has been kind of a weird year, and we know that uh, there's been a lot of struggles in that, but uh, over the last year, if you think about it, we, we focused a lot on our digital ministry. We raised money last year to focus on that, so we built a studio, we've been uh, using, we have... Um, raise money to add staff or doing all this digital stuff. In December this year, we want to say, don't forget, we actually meet here every seven days. Come on, right? 
So we're going to remind everybody of that. And uh, then the second thing that we're doing is we're using the month to explore some of the deeper meanings of the season of the year and the Christmas story. We're concentrating on familiar themes in the Christmas story, but in a fresh way. And if you were with us last week, we lit a candle. We're just kind of doing this every week as a little bit of a a reminder to us. We lit a candle to commemorate this idea uh, that Jesus is the light. We're going to focus on that a little bit more later in the month, but this is kind of what we're remembering, that the scriptures teach us this. They say that Jesus is the light of the world, and in him there is no darkness at all. So we lit a candle to commemorate that, and this morning we're going to light another candle to just sort of underscore for us the value and the idea of hope. And uh, not just hope, everyone, the idea of Christian hope. Uh, When Peter was writing the two epistles that uh, bear his name, kind of tucked in the back of the New Testament, he made an observation in the first one, I think, where he said that the resurrection of Jesus gives us, listen to how he puts it, new birth into a living hope. Not just hope, but a kind of hope that grows, that increases. And I don't know about you, but we we need to hear that. We need to be reminded of that, that Christian hope is very, very different from wishful thinking. Like this idea, we hope that things will turn out okay. Sometimes we say that, right? We say that about our sports teams. I, I hope they will win. I was hoping Georgia would beat Alabama. It didn't happen. Uh, but anyhow, so there's the, the idea of, of wishful thinking, but Christian hope is something altogether different. And it comes to, to us through this idea of the incarnation. Now, think with me about this. I want to lay some track right here. All year long, the church generally focuses on what we would understand theologically as resurrection theology. Resurrection theology really is... is um, This idea that Jesus has come and that uh, he gave us life as a ransom for many for the sins of the world. Not only the sins of the world, but for your sins and my sins. Amen to that? Right? Some of you should really say amen to that, right? And um, this is the interesting thing I think about. So most, most of the year, the Capital C Church focuses on resurrection theology. In fact, we sang it in the first song. For God so, say it with me, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, right? But have what? Everlasting life. That's resurrection theology. In December, though, we talk about, we back it up. And we don't really so focus just on resurrection theology. We focus on the other big miracle of Christmas, which is the miracle of the incarnation. This idea that, that God has come. He's come to us as a baby. And he's giving us new birth into a living hope. And this has been a year, I think I would say, where, where hope is sort of at a premium. Because a lot of us have had a lot of, I would say, situational hope knocked out of us. I talk to a lot of people and it feels like the wind is sort of just out of our sails. I was, we're learning how in these days, I think, to walk in a way with a limp. 
right? Some of us, you would say, I've been walking with a limp for a long time, but I think all of us collectively across this last two years, really, we've been learning what that feels like in some new and different ways. Um, a, a, a month or so back, uh, my wife told me, she said, I think it's time to get a new suit. And so I said, you think so? And she, she said, yeah. I said, let me pray about it, and I'll get back with you. And she said, no, no, no prayers. I think it's, I think it's really time you should get a new suit. And I, I, don't, I want to call out to the guys here in the room. I don't know how you are. I have to be in the mood for stuff like that. Can I get a witness? And so when Beth, when Beth senses like there's this opportunity for that, she, she will latch onto that opportunity. And so she said, I, I really think it's time to, to do that. And I said, okay. So there was a little openness. So we go, we go to, the, to the suit store, and we're, this gentleman is working with me. And, you know, he's, we're trying on all these clothes. He's, he's reflecting on how cut I am and how, you know, kind of big, big I am. And, you know, I, I have to face that everywhere I go, and it gets awkward. But at any rate, um, finally we reached this place where he said, all right, I think this one will fit your body. Go, tr- go try this on. And I, and I put the pants on, and he goes, you're going to need shoes. And I thought, I am not buying shoes. Too. I have a, actually a really nice pair of dress shoes. And I, I said, no, I don't, I don't need shoes. He goes, no, you're not, you're not getting it. You've got to try on the shoes so that we get the pants right uh, to, to, your, to your height. And so all of a sudden, underneath the little, you know, the, 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 the separator comes this pair of shoes. Here, put these shoes on. And then right before I'm going to go put the shoes on, he throws up underneath the deal like a shoehorn. How many of you all know what a shoehorn is? So I was like, okay, that's kind. So I put the shoe, I put a shoe on with a shoehorn. I put the other shoe with a shoehorn on. And then I walk out for him to measure the pants. And I thought, these are the most uncomfortable shoes I have ever put on. And so I'm sitting there and I, and he's measuring and he kept going, stand up straight. And I'm going, I can't stand up straight. The shoes are hurting me. And so finally, when we got done, he's walking me around the store, showing me all these pants. I go back in to change out of the pants and I take off the shoes and, and I take off the, 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 the one pair I kick off. And then I take the other shoe off. There was a shoe horn already in the shoe. <laughs> And I was like, now that makes sense. <laughs> and I think about this because um, I, I believe really quite seriously that all of us this year have had to learn with the, to manage our expectations. All of us have areas in our lives that are challenging, that are difficult, that are broken. One Christian author I was reading from a few weeks ago made this observation, and I think it's a really, really apt observation. He said, um, one of the impacts, he writes, I've come to believe about sin and brokenness on our world is that it creates within us what he referred to as these moments of realized universal disappointment. And he said, Sometimes, he said, um, there, the disappointment uh, that I feel, he said, is trivial. Sometimes, he, say, he wrote, he said, um, sometimes I wish I was more muscular, I'd, I was better at finances or home repair. Sometimes it's neurotic. He said, I'm too concerned with what people think of me. But he said, every now and again, when it's quiet, 
And he said, I'm, I'm in my thoughts. I feel there's something more. You ever wondered that? You ever come to this place where, you know, you, you just feel like, is God, is there more to life? Is there more to faith? Could the intersection of these two dynamics be better? He goes on to write, sometimes the disappointment I feel is with certain aspects of my character. That I'm actually not stepping ultimately into the person God has created me to be. Now here's what I think. We all feel that. We all have moments where that is true in our lives. And one of the things that I love about the Christmas story is that the Christmas story, in a way, unearths some of the the universal, now historic, disappointments of other people through the witness of Scripture. And we, we, we have an opportunity to get in on that and to measure our own lives up against those disappointments. And certainly, I think one of the greatest moments of what could have been potential universal disappointment is in the story of Mary. And so I want to read this to you this morning, and I want us to look at it in a bit of a fresh way, and and I want to call your attention to a particular act and to a particular statement that I'm going to have us think through this morning. The story happens in Luke chapter 1. It begins in verse 26. Let me just read it to you. Here's how Luke records it. He said, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, for the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great. I love that verse. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom, it'll never have an end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit has come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, uh, born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray this morning that you might enable us by the power of your great Holy Spirit to step into this story, that it would not become just an anecdote, a byline, a historical thing we think through, but God, might it be within the promise of your holy word, something living and active for all of us this morning as we think about hope. This we pray in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. When you came in this morning, um, we actually gave you a stone. 
And the stone is to uh, represent a hard place in your life. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to get it out, and I want you to just have it with you in the service. Uh, It's not to throw at me if the message gets a little long or confusing. And um, and so um, I want us to think about that because in a very, very real way, what I want to tee up in the room this morning is, does the Christian faith and the Christian experience speak to the hard places in our lives? And I want you to know that I believe that it does in a very real way. And I, I think it really does, certainly in the story of Mary, which is one of the great stories of the Christmas season, the Advent season. And one of the reasons I think I believe it's one of these great stories is because it's so messy. Every now and again, I'll talk to people and they learn what I do and I have experiences or I have coffees or I have conversations with them. And every now and again, it's not often, but every now and again, someone will say to me that the reason they cannot connect with Christianity in a way is they can't connect with really the stories of the Bible. They can't connect with the Bible at all because it's so untrue to life. And when I, whenever I hear that, uh, that, that sort of assault, what I think in my mind is, what Bible are you reading? Because, um, you know, the Bible is certainly true to life, even with the miraculous stories in it. And it's certainly true when we think about this uh, in Mary's life. Mary had a lot of reasons in this moment to be universally disappointed. When you think about this, these are things I would want you to think about um, Uh, scholars believe Mary was probably around the age of 14 when all this took place. She had no social standing whatsoever. She was uneducated, unmarried, now finds herself pregnant, and according to her, pregnant by supernatural means. For those of you that don't know, uh, in ancient biblical times, she was uh, not married yet, but she was betrothed to be married. And betrothal meant a very specific thing in ancient biblical times. Let me tell you what it is real quickly. It was a legal contract entered into by both families under law, declaring publicly an intent of this couple to marry. It was binding before God and legal before man. And really the whole idea of a betrothal period in ancient biblical times gave some measure of security to the woman and to her family of origin that if she left this home, she would have safety and security in the world. Women had no rights and no security at all. And the betrothal period was this, this broken thing, but in a way gave some sense of hope to a woman who was going to get married that she might have a future. Otherwise, she had none. And so there's a very powerful narrative that is unfolding uh, in this moment. And then the angel comes to Mary, tells her these spectacular things. And Mary says a phrase in this passage of Scripture, quite honestly, that has haunted me for the last two weeks as I saw this message coming down the road. And I really built the whole message around this phrase. I want to show it to you. I want to ask us to say it together. It's the phrase, how will this be? Say it with me. How will this be? Now, here's what I want you to do. Pretend you're Mary for a moment, and in light of what you're thinking about Mary's situation, say it again. Ready? Go. How will this be? And now what I want you to do, I want you to grab the stone that you have in your hand, which represents the hard thing right now in your life. And thinking about that hard thing, would you say it yet one more time with me? Ready, go. How will this be? 
This is one of the themes of the incarnation, that God gives us new birth into living hope. Which reminds me of some things all week long as I've been thinking through this idea and thinking through this phrase, uh, I, I've, I've been reminded of some things in my own life because, you know, often, and I say this, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself also. And so when I'm reminded of what this story teaches me, one of my reminders is this, quite honestly, genuine belief is seldom easy. Real belief is seldom easy. And there's a whole lot front-loaded on this. I mean, for Mary, here's this young pregnant woman in ancient Jewish culture. All she, you know, this is all she has. How's she ever going to get support behind her story? It almost sounds in a way, I don't mean any offense by this, but it almost sounds like, you know, where, where, where a kid will say to a teacher, my dog ate my homework. Doesn't it almost sound like that? You know, how are people going to believe this unfolding story? This is, this is all she has in front of her. Her whole future rests right here in this moment. Sometimes I think not only about Mary, but I think about us in relation to what we're asked to believe here because this is the theology of the miraculous. This is the theology of the virgin birth. We will oftentimes say, you know, liturgical churches talk about the Apostles' Creed, right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, conceived of the Virgin Mary. And some of us struggle there. I remember a pastor I, I, I had known for years who really struggled with the concept of the virgin birth. But here's the thing. It's the concept of the virgin birth and that miracle that leads us to the possibility of the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what I want everybody to know. Genuine belief is seldom easy. A lot of times in our life, I think our faith path follows a well-worn path. We have some ascent to religious things. Now when we get to the year 18 or so and we leave our home, those who, who study these sorts of eras in our lives suggest to us that most kids graduate, this is how they say it, graduate from faith by the time they're 18. And when they leave home, they graduate in the first 30 days. So moms and dads right now, I want you to think about that. The clock is ticking on what your kids will believe. And so there's this really powerful moment, this really powerful idea, and then it kind of clicks along at conventional means. We get married. We might have some marriage in the church. But then when we have kids, here's the conventional means, we kind of say again, it pops up, and we say to ourselves, this is a moment. Maybe I want to get this figured out. Maybe I got to think about this in a different way. But then on top of that, here's what happens. Life happens. Because here's what you and I both know. Life always happens. And when life happens, there's generally a moment right in there where life happens and we learn in that moment whether our faith has been keeping pace with life that always happens. And too often, more often than not, we learn our faith has not kept pace with our life. 
I talk to people every now and again, and this is what they'll say. They'll say, I'm not sure I believe anymore. I'm not sure I ever believed in the first time. That's, that's never an uncommon conversation to have, but sometimes people will say this, I don't know if I can believe in my faith anymore. And you know what I'll often say? I wouldn't believe in your faith either. I don't mean any offense, but it's, it's not really that the faith is bad. It's your version of that faith. Genuine belief, honestly, 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 it's, it's seldom easy. I was reading a book a while back by Andy Stanley entitled Irresistible, and he's just talking about how church can be irresistible again. It used to be when it first started. And he says at the very front end of the book, he shares a story about taking his son over to China. So China. So he's in China visiting his, uh, with his son, and he said the guy that was hosting him over there took him to this American-owned leather kind of factory, and he said he was learning all this, and there was this group that was sort of following him around. They got to the very end. He said he thought the tour was over. They were about to leave. He was about to leave with his son, and this woman, this young woman, about 22, 23, diminutive little woman, she raised her, young woman raised her hand. He said at shoulder height, and she said, can I, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure, you can ask me a question. And, and she said, are you a pastor? And he thought, just for a quick moment, he thought, should I even answer that question? I mean, this is China. Literally, should I answer that? And he thought, well, I'm going to go for it. He goes, I am a pastor. And she goes, did you write a book called How Good is Good Enough? Which is really about the explanation of the gospel message. And he said, I did. And she goes, it changed my life. And he said, thank you very much. And he said, I thought that was it. And he said, I turned to leave. And she said, can I ask you one other question? She said, he said, yeah. And she said, um, do you, um, could you tell me why everybody in America doesn't go to church? And he thought for a moment and he thought about that question. He said, I've never gotten over that. Because she went on to tell him, she said, you know, she said, um, I, I am part of an underground church movement. He said she's telling this story, and he's looking around at people. Or his, her, her boss is listening. He's wondering, is this legal that you're even saying this? And she says, I, I travel two hours to a church that isn't even my t- in my town. I don't know anybody, but I want to hear about the message that is changing my life. See, I I think the underlying story is that so many of us have just let our faith become this younger thing that has never fully matured and grown up. And this is a moment for us. And I I, I would say, secondly, I would say this. if, If the first thing is true, which is genuine belief is seldom easy, I think the second thing is true. We have to conclude if that's true, then God is always working even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it. And I, I just this is my moment to let everybody know, we tricked you. You sang that. But here's the question. Do you believe it? Even when I can't feel it, he's working. Even when I can't see it, he's working. Even when I have a hard thing. He's working. 
Recently, I was listening to a podcast. I went for a run, and I was listening to a podcast called That Sounds Fun by Annie F. Downs. And she was interviewing a young woman by the name of Maddie Selectman. I don't know if you know Maddie. You probably know her dad. Her dad is the country western singer, Alan Jackson. I'll show you a picture. There's Maddie in the back with her husband. In September of 2018, they were visiting their home. The family actually has a home here in Jupiter. And they were on Alan's boat. And they were coming back from going somewhere and being out for the day. And they were pulling up to a restaurant. And everybody was getting off the boat. And somebody was trying to get on the boat back. They had forgotten something. And, and Maddie's husband went to help the young woman onto the boat, and when he did, it had been raining, and he slipped on the boat, and he fell and hit his head on a rock, and he died two weeks later. They'd been married for only 11 months. It was the worst moment of her life. And Maddie has gone on to write a powerful book called Lemons on Friday, where she walks everybody through this experience. He actually passed away at St. Mary's Hospital here in our town. And she tells this experience, and one of the things she said is she said, we have to remember our Christian theology, right, that the enemy's purpose in our life is to steal, kill, and destroy. That the only time the Bible talks about death coming to us is after the fall of humanity, not before. So she says, what if theologically it's wrong that we would ever blame God for the hard places in our life? Because God is always at work to restore, to redeem, to rebuild, to recover what's been stolen in our lives. See, faith that is immature doesn't ever grow into those understandings. And so then when it doesn't grow into those understandings, we can't really live with inextinguishable hope because we've never learned the reality that it exists. This is a powerful moment for us. Don't you just imagine that's exactly where Mary was, how will this be? Right now, God in heaven, here by the power of His Holy Spirit, is looking at you. And the rock that you're holding in that place that represents brokenness or shame or loss or grief or despair, and right in that space where you're saying, how will this be? God would like to teach you by His Spirit some things about who He is, reflective of a more mature faith that can move you toward the hope we're describing. And you know the first step of that? Is yielding your life to Him. Even in those parts that we don't understand, I love how she writes it, or Luke writes it right at the end of verse 38. He just says this. He records Mary as saying, I am 
The Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word be to me fulfilled. That's the disposition of inextinguishable hope. God, we thank you that you hold our pain in your hands. That when you came to earth as a baby, Lord Jesus, that um, one of your purposes was to meet us at our greatest point of need and in that space that feels so broken, so impossible, so ruined, so stained. You come to give newness of life and inextinguishable hope. So God, I pray for all of my friends that this might be a season that our faith rises to stay in step with the life that just happens. We ask that you would lead us. We ask that you would heal us. And we ask, oh God, that our lives would bear witness that we can walk free and whole. This we pray in the strong and mighty name of Jesus, our baby in a manger, our risen Savior. In his name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Would you go in his mercy, and would you go in his grace? We'll see you next weekend.